Okay. Hey, welcome to you talking with Greg. Uh, we have a freaking offender here with Bruce Alderman. Uh, and I'm super excited today because we dialogued. <clears throat> As some of you may know, on Integral Stage, uh, uh, Layman Pascal did, uh, I think, a really great job in interviewing me about you talk and what it affords psychology. And I was talking to Bruce and getting his take. And I was like, wow, I really want to dive into your philosophy, your understanding, how do you approach the field? Uh, so Bruce, welcome. Thank you. Yeah, really looking forward to talking with you today and, and to you hanging with Greg in uh, <laughs> Vermont pretty soon. So. Yeah, man, we're looking forward to the metamodern spirituality. Actually, that's a nice bridge for anybody that wants to hear Bruce's unbelievably rich life history, especially with a spiritual bent. I really encourage the metamodern spirituality podcast that you did with Brendan. Uh, Graham Dempsey uh, is a great narrative. Uh, and uh, so for folks that want more background on your personal journey and your deep, rich perspective on living, uh, let me recommend that podcast. Oh, thank you. So today we're going to get you a kind of professional take on what is your approach to psychology? How did you kind of get into it? How do you get trained? And what's your view? And then we'll maybe build some bridges with you talk. But really, I know you have an enormous, rich perspective embedded in transpersonal psychology and other branches. It's actually a branch in which I, I'm pretty well versed in psychology, but not super well versed in transpersonal. So I really look forward uh, to getting that take. So why don't we start there and uh, tell us a little bit then about your background in psychology, how you entered in, I think it was a master's program, maybe in transpersonal counseling, if I heard that correctly. And we'll start from there and uh, see how this evolves in terms of getting your perspective on this field. Sure, it sounds good. And yeah, I'm, I'm hoping we can talk uh, about some correspondences with, with Utah as, as we go through it. Um, but I'll be happy to just kind of unpack mostly how I've been approaching it, uh, you know, in, in my own teaching work uh, and mm. working with students. And I actually increasingly, depending on what kind of class load I'm, I'm carrying in the future, I want to begin to introduce students more to Utah, so I'm I'm intending on that. Uh, but yeah, well, I think it'd be nice to explore here what I've been doing so far and what Lovely. our program has okay. been doing so That'd far. That'd be great. Yeah, really. Let's do it. Yes, let's find Bruce's version of what psychology is and its approach to the pragmatics at the level of psychotherapy or wise living or wherever uh, you want to take us. Absolutely. Sure. Well, yeah, I feel a little bit. Uh, daunted in that. I, I'm speaking to someone that I regard as a virtuoso in the field. So <laughs> uh, I'll be giving you my little snapshot version compared to, to what you Right. What well, well the caveat here. is well placed, folks. I am a child when it comes to spiritual development. So, and I'm in a spiritual guru's presence. So we can compliment each other, I think, quite well at that level. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, you know, as part of the narrative I gave to uh, Brendan, and I've, I've talked about it a few other places. Mm -hmm. I, I Part of my journey involved going over to the East and living there for a number of years. And at first I was just there as an English teacher and dabbling in some meditation and music mm -hmm. uh, classes and, and, and retreats and things like that. Right. But gradually it progressed into, after I finished my main teaching gig in Korea, um, mm. traveling around in Southeast Asia and in, in India and Nepal for a number of years and doing a lot of contemplative training in a number of different traditions and contexts for right. a number of years. 
Exactly. And when I returned to the U.S., I wanted to find a way to integrate that contemplative knowledge mm-hmm. with, you know, a Western lifestyle and, 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 you know, professional path. Very good. And it was at that point that I kind of rediscovered Wilbur. Uh, I had okay. originally come across him before and had mm-hmm. liked some of his appreciative but critical reflections on, uh, you know, holographic theory or quantum mm-hmm. theory, and things mm-hmm. like that. But some of his approaches to spirituality previously, before that Asian trip, I had not really resonated with. Uh, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But after coming back and seeing kind of what he was trying to integrate, right, Mm -hmm. uh, and and how he was really trying to bring Eastern and Western insight Mm. together into a a more coherent worldview, world picture, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I thought, yeah, there is something here, and I'd like to explore it more. And I couldn't find anything that existed at the time in that. Uh, but there was a transpersonal psychology program, actually several of them over okay. here on um, mm-hmm. the West Coast. And mm-hmm. I settled on the one at John F. Kennedy University. Okay. And I went through the training there where they had some Wilbur material as part mm-hmm. of an overall mm-hmm. program in basically in, in marriage and family therapy. Uh, counseling training hmm. uh, with a transpersonal emphasis and okay. some emphasis on, on Ken Wilber's work. So gotcha. you know, that whole program, it was definitely, you know, training to be a, a, a standard counselor within California for marriage okay. and family therapy uh-huh. right. with some focuses on existential issues, um, family uh, therapy, cognitive behavioral diagnosis and access assessment, okay. uh, pharmacology, you know, all those kinds of things. Right. Um, But also some classes that open up into consideration uh, of transpersonal type experiences or more integrative lenses on the whole thing. Right. Let's, 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 can we double click on at least what, uh, give folks some understanding of transpersonal psychology. I I think, um, like I said, certainly if they're following the Utah trail, especially from a standard psychological academic perspective or even an integrative psychotherapy perspective. Um, transpersonal pops up, but it's not one of the big major cognitive behavioral psychodynamic perspectives. Um, so there's certainly, a if you follow the humanistic tradition, it's pretty clear that this bridge is into it, but it'd be, I think, potentially useful um, I think there was some article that was like, hey, there are a lot of different definitions of transpersonal (laughs) and a lot of different approaches. Uh, So let's give folks a little bit of frame. When you use that term, uh, what's your primary reference? Ken Wilber actually started out as a transpersonal psychologist, and that's where he was writing initially um, from a very early age and Mm -hmm. and kind of made a big splash in the scene. Mm -hmm. Uh, But from the side of transpersonal psychology, they've often framed the, the development of psychology in terms of four forces, mm. considering transpersonal psychology from within their frame to be the fourth force. Fourth I force, uh-huh. yep. A lot of other schools of psychology will not accept transpersonal uh-huh. as the fourth force, right? Right. Um, Beck tried to label cognitive the fourth force, by the way. <laughs> right, right. So there's competition for, by the way, just in case, psychoanalysis, behaviorism, and human traditional humanistic 
uh, approaches are almost always considered, at least within the American psychological tradition, the big three forces. And I think that's almost uh, sort of undeniable in relationship to the influence of American psychology. So who's the fourth force? <laughs> and yes, so that's cool that transpersonal at least is, is, is enough of a place in certain domains like California, where it is very salient and influential. Right, and it, there are other contenders also, like uh, Stollero and Atwood. They yep. they consider um, their intersubjective mm -hmm. psychology and therapy to be the fourth force. Mm -hmm. uh, so you know there are a number of people who are elbowing each other for. Uh, that's for right. That. We don't have a clear fourth force. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, but you know, uh, I think transversal is a good good contender. It it is. Um, you know, it has. I think some stronger proponents and some weaker proponents mm -hmm. uh, of it, you know, not all formulations of transpersonal psychology, I think have equal standing and, 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 uh, you know, uh, coherence and, and, and mm -hmm. empirical grounding, but there are some that do. Mm -hmm. And they're uh, basically the idea behind transpersonal psychology. They look to Maslow and, and one of Maslow's, um, writings um, in the 70s where he mm -hmm. was uh, looking at the farther reaches of human nature and right. noticing that as people moved towards self-actualizing mm -hmm. sometimes that pyramidal peak opened up yes. into a, a, a kind of uh, transcendent domain where there were uh, flow states and different you know it's yep. not just peak performance but actual mm -hmm. opening into a sense of participating with reality in a fuller way than they've been able to access just as an ego. And, and these states sometimes, you know, have been correlated with different types of descriptions from the mystical traditions about our higher potential. Totally. And so Maslow was one of the first people um, mm -hmm. and with Frager and, and uh, you know, a number of other people at that time mm -hmm. who began to argue that we need to make space in psychology for consideration of higher uh, functional altered states of consciousness and their impact on overall human well-being and functioning sure. and what they might tell us about human um, identity, um, human uh, self-development, human functioning, uh, human well-being. And that things need to be considered for a coherent view of, of full human, uh, full scope human development and psychological functioning. And that there was a concern that because of uh, especially certain behavioral uh -huh. uh, and, and psychoanalytic uh, influences on, on the overall and, and pharmacological influences on the overall field that sometimes genuinely positive, potentially positively transforming mystical or spiritual experiences were being diagnosed as pathological um, or not recognized for their positive self-impactful uh, you know, potential mm -hmm. and, and instead were, were misdiagnosed and, uh, and, and usually medicated and, and, and treated away <laughs> um, rather than mined for, for actual uh, you know, fruitful outcomes. Totally. And so there's been some work by transpersonal psychologists to 
have an impact on the the DSM mm-hmm. um, and and general formulations about things like spiritual emergency mm-hmm. uh, mm. and, and and authentic religious experience right. um, as as areas of, of potential human experience that should be included in an overall map that general genuine generally are not totally. Um, let me pause you there for just a sec, just to plug right in. You know, I, I think me and you and John Verbeke, Zach Stein, Lehman Pascal, I mean, there's a real fascinating synergy. Uh, so to, to get to validate your perspective in terms of some of the blind spots, I did a blog called the 10 Problems of Consciousness, okay? And basically just delineated, and it was a very naturalistic blog, okay? And it situated it, essentially the high problem being the self-conscious reflective issue of persons, okay, and then subconscious issues and whatever. But it didn't hit at all on the transcendent. That didn't touch that. And then I'm listening to John, and John, you know, in terms of awakening the meaning crisis, does quite a bit of attention uh, to at least the issue of transcendence in terms of what he calls the problem of ontonormativity around transcendence, the number of individuals that have these states what kind are they? How do they evolve into them? And why are they so impactful? You know, and what are they tapping into? And how have we lost sight of that in the Enlightenment? And, uh, and then our, my first contact with John and our first little project together was called the 11th Problem of Consciousness. It was two blogs we did. Um, and he happened to really tap on this in the me- Awakening to Meaning series on the 11th episode. And so hmm. I used it as saying, I missed the 11th problem in my list of 10. And so we then joined together and delineated some of the dynamics that are associated with, and by the way, a transpersonal, meaning across, above, and beyond the person egoic level into a higher state, as it were. And then what hmm. is the spiritual, mystical, um, human context, ontological, metaphysical, existential elements of all of that. And so just at the level of my own, like I said, Yes, I have pretty good mastery of mainstream empirical psychology. I'm historically blind to these issues, maybe not so much in the last five to 10 years, but my whole tradition has been blind to them. And so we want to show that I think the transpersonal people are absolutely right, um, that when Maslow sees above the self-actualization potential into the emergence of a transcendent state, he recognizes that is really crucial. A number of people have. Um, but it hasn't gotten the attention in our modernist enlightenment worldview as it should. And the transversal people are absolutely right about that. And it's super cool that you're, uh, you know, deeply immersed in that and a pioneer in it in some ways. Yeah, I think that it really is, you know, it, it's not everything. And, and, and there's a, a kind of a maturation that happened within the field of transpersonal psychology, where initially it was felt that if you access some of these higher states, it was going to magically resolve. Mm-hmm. a lot of the lower issues and practical experience showed no that that doesn't happen mm-hmm. uh, there can be positive impacts in terms of lessening of depression and mm-hmm. and more coherent organization um, and an expansion of, of perspective taking capacity and a lot of things that can happen from genuine deepened contemplative experience but it was by no means a panacea um, so there was you know within the field it kind of like in the 70s, there was hope that if you at least got the mystical experience, it could radically, radically reconfigure the self. And for the most part, that doesn't happen. Sometimes there are really deep, mm-hmm. profound changes in an individual. Mm-hmm. Um, but more often than not, it's a process of 
accessing other dimensions of the self that then have to be very slowly and carefully integrated into your overall function. And it it, it takes a lot of work to Mm -hmm. do that. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, there's a, a, one of the things that happen in transpersonal psychology is, you know, they, once Maslow and, 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 uh, you know, Frager and, and Fadiman and a few other people started really Mm -hmm. focusing on that out of the, the humanist and existential humanist movements, they began mm-hmm. to see a need for acknowledging those aspects of, of human experience. They looked back and saw, you know, while Jung, you know, for instance, early on mentioned the word uberpersonlich, superpersonal. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. James mentioned it, but he was mm-hmm. referring more towards kind of the broader social dimensions of consciousness mm-hmm. that came okay. out of the individual. Mm-hmm. But there was also Roberto Assagioli who um, developed psychosynthesis. Uh, in- I, I know that name, but actually I don't know uh, much about him at all in psychosynthesis, just as a comment. I'm, I'm where, you know, my, my knowledge of psychology is again, decent, but this is an area that I definitely need to look more into. Yeah, he, he was really remarkable. Uh, he was a, a kind of a, a wonder child. In, okay. He was the, in, in Italy, he was, basically one of the first people to introduce psychoanalysis into Mm. uh, the universities. And he introduced it as a student. He Mm. was being taught psychology, uh, you know, as it existed at the time by his professors, Mm -hmm. but he became very interested in what Freud and Jung were doing Mm. and began to talk about that to his professors. Mm -hmm. And he published, you know, psychology articles at the age of 16. And he spoke (laughs) like seven or eight different languages and, Right. He was a polymath kind of individual. Fascinating. But one of the things that was interesting about him is, you know, ultimately as he developed it, it was largely a existential humanist um, mm-hmm. school, uh, which had some similarities to and, and resonances with uh, psychoanalysis and analytic psychology of Freud mm-hmm. and Jung. Uh, but he, he felt that while analysis broke up, you know, divided the self down and looked at the mm-hmm, different things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There was no coherent path of, towards mm. synthesis. Right. And, huh. Right. And so he felt that that really was a kind of a missing aspect of, of the, both what Jung and, and, and Freud were working on. Um, and he had had early on experience and exposure to uh, mystical traditions through his mother, mm. um, who was a theosophist. Okay. And so he was exposed to Advaita Vedanta mm. and some other perspectives there on dimensions of the self that were not part of the justifying self, but were part of right. more of like an aware, a layer of awareness. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. he tried to build a, a psychological model that folded in that layer of the self as, as basically a, a locus of awareness and will. Um, that was not the ego, that was not a structure, uh, but was more of a, you know, uh, biological function. Right. Um, and uh, so anyway, he was kind of, uh, he participated in, uh, you know, the, the early, because he was in dialogue with Jung and Freud okay. and he influenced mm-hmm. their work. Mm-hmm. Um, they acknowledged him as a brother and they actually mm-hmm. took some insights. Some of the Jung stuff looks like it may even have come from Asajoli mm-hmm. and not credited. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. But then he was 
kind of looked to as a, an exemplar with the emerging um, existential humanist movement. Mm -hmm. And then later, when they felt the need to go towards transpersonal, um, they looked back to him again and saw that he had actually already been mapping some of that territory wow. in, in some fruitful ways of working around it. Um, Great. No, that's really helpful. And, and, it, and it's a very good motivator for me to then uh, do some digestion of psychosynthesis. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's, it, it's definitely worthwhile to engage with. It, it, there are aspects that still remain relevant. He was not a giant self-promoter, mm. um, and he did not try to create a single absolute system. Mm -hmm. um, and as a result, a lot of his innovations and insights got picked up by other people, mm. and they don't even know where they came from. Interesting. Um, Interesting. The idea of a subpersonality came from him. The idea of creative visualization as a therapeutic modality. He was the first to be doing it. A lot of different kinds of things like that. Cool. Um, so thank you for that. Yeah, no, that's good to know. Yeah. So, you know, Wilbur, you know, entered the scene um, in dialogue with all of that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, his one of his, I, I think, initial insights was that, you know, because he was practicing you know, he was in psychoanalysis, he was getting um, gestalt therapy, but he was also practicing Zen. Definitely, right. And, and doing some other things. And he could see that all of those things were serving him. Mm. Um, and, and that they all had something to say about his nature and potential. Mm -hmm. But when he listened to any one of those groups, they all hated the others. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, that's the, that's the chronic condition of the field. <laughs> exactly right and you know I, I heard your your conversation with John where you were talking about you know eclectic and and it's it's you know it's place mm. John was saying why is that you know mm. anything to be proud of and you were saying well it's not but it is a step up from the right. you know the exclusivism of the prior traditions and that's something I've, I've always talked about in my classes as well mm. is that if you look around and you survey a lot of, of therapists now, a lot of them do say eclectic, which suggests that no single one of the approaches uh, is necessarily adequate in itself right. and that, you know, they can be fruitfully engaged. And then the next logical step after that, which of course you very well recognize, is how can they be integrated into some kind of coherent system so that right. they're not just used in a hodgepodge way. Um, and it, where it becomes self-undermining pretty much mm -hmm. because totally. there's no way to, to assess, you know, um, any path forward in a sense, you know, it, right. it's just, you know, so anyway, there definitely is a need for that kind of integration. And Wilbur's initial insight was that they dealt with different layers of the psyche, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that the psyche was in strata and um, that they could be correlated to different aspects of our, our yep. evolutionary and biological development and our own psychological unfolding um, over time as we build right. up self-structure. Um, so his insight was that a lot of the different modalities are focusing on different strata, maybe more biologically, behaviorally based or, yep. or um, emotional uh, mm -hmm. structures or, or, you know, script structures, you know, where the, so there are different layers that, that they can be plugged into and that they all can serve those different things without necessarily conflicting with each other. Totally. Um, while recognizing that 
we still need a kind of coherent ontology behind all of those things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Nevertheless, you know, I think he was right that, that you could yep. see them as strata. Yep. But as he progressed, you know, obviously we know that eventually he began to see that that also, that, that you know, um, strata model was not enough and that there were uh, at least four fundamental perspectives um, that could be taken on psychology. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And actually it's now really, you know, um, the full aqua model will point at even more than that. Right. Um, uh, so yeah, that, that gets up to like typically how I would frame in okay. my classes, you know, what is an integrative mm. approach um, gotcha. to mm -hmm. psychology. I don't know right. if there's anything you want to talk yeah, about. Well, uh, we can certainly summarize. And then, um, so, you know, in terms of Wilbur, uh, so Wilbur's tracking the sort of phylogenetic and ontogenetic evolution of consciousness, cognition, cultural awareness, um, develops the sort of developmental line approach. Um, mm -hmm. He really delineates that in Integral Psychology, a 2003 book, nicely and shows, you know, all the multiple developmental structures and the emergence really from sort of a sensory motor into a more perspectival, if you want to use John's language, emotionally regulated, and then a more thoughtful, and then expansively thoughtful, and then ultimately spiritual, trans-spiritual view. Um, right. I'm in now very much in line with that view. I've got my cast model of habits and experiences and relational defense justification. In terms of my psyche, I have sort of the organism into animal, animal into mammal, mammal into primate, primate into person, person into spirit. So I'm very much, and I haven't always been that way. I haven't always seen that line that Wilbur saw really, really nicely. So I just want to pause and give you know props to Wilbur's brilliant line view, um, mm -hmm. and then and then the epistem what I call the epistemological quadrants. I know Wilbur would you know I think he'd recognize that it's epistemologically emphasis, but he would still see an ontology to it, especially when you tie the lines to it. And I grant that, um, although I think his ontology is not quite as precise as it might be, certainly from a Utah goal. But anyway, then you get the, you know, interior, exterior, as folks likely know, listening channel, individual, collective, uh, you know, two by two, uh, that really gives you a framework for understanding a phenomenological epistemology, a behavioral object epistemology, a cultural hermeneutic epistemology, and a systems epistemology across the quadrants. And, you know, then you get the Wilbur all qual, all line, uh, all quadrant view. Um, and, and is it your sense then, or at least this is where your position sort of is, Wilbur is sort of, you know, probably the best representative of transpersonal. Do you see it that way? Or do you see transpersonal and integral? And you then sort of, are you kind of really finding yourself as a transpersonal integral or transpersonal integral are the same to you because Wilbur identifies that way? I'm just kind of curious actually how you position yourself and then bring it to your students about the relationship between integral and transpersonal. I do differentiate them, okay. um, although, you know, Wilbur started out as a transpersonalist yeah. and he moved away. Um, and I think there are certain strengths, uh, you know, new gifts and, and new insights um, that he brought forward with his departure from the transpersonal movement. But I think there's some legitimate pushback from people within the transpersonal community mm -hmm. or legitimate contributions that aren't as, as well, you know, developed in in Wilbur's model, mm. um, or at least not as, as significantly emphasized. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so 
when I talk to students about it, I will, you know, I'll talk about Wilbur, but I'll also talk about, um, you know, uh, Groff and Ferrer and Washburn right. and a number of other people and what they bring, um, mm -hmm. you know, in addition to what Wilbur's emphasizing, um, Rowan, and there's a, a bunch of people who are taking transpersonal approaches in one way or another, and they typically are in dialogue with Wilbur in some way, uh, but not always in, in full agreement mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. with him. And when you're teaching, uh, is it, are you emphasizing uh, consciousness? Are you emphasizing pathology? Are you emphasizing sort of therapy? Is it the intersection of all of that in relationship to the views that you uh, bring and, and have familiarity and educate it? Yes, yeah, really all of that. Um, you know, we, we explore um, both the, you could say the, the, the upper reaches of, of consciousness as they've been mapped by Wilbur, but also mm -hmm. by, by Groff and other people, mm -hmm. um, and the types of pathologies, the types of uh, issues and problems that might be associated with those uh, mystical experiences. Mm. Um, so for instance, and maybe we could get into that in just a little bit, because okay. you know, I know you're pretty familiar with the aqua model, so we maybe don't mm -hmm. have to focus there a lot, but um, for instance, you know, it's important to be able to distinguish between uh, spiritual emergence, which is just spiritual experiences emerging for the client, but not causing any problems, but okay. they may be areas that are unfamiliar to the therapist. Mm -hmm. Then there's spiritual emergency, where mm. the emergence of those types of experience and states um, are actually destabilizing the individual. Um, then there's psychotic episodes. Um, and then there are mystical experiences with psychotic features, huh. which if they're identified can be positively transforming, but often because there's enough of an indicator that there's some kind of psychosis going on here, they, they can be shut down rather than being allowed to run their course within a safe container. Mm. Um, and so there's some, a, a lot of, you know, thought and, and work going into, if you can identify that, how can you create the, the, the containers for that to run its course? Right. Um, because, you know, we have ancient traditions where they're, they're definitely, you know, the shamanic crisis and the different kind of mystical transformations that you can see that did result in highly functioning individual on the other side, typically functioning at higher levels than most of their peers. But first they went through a period of significant breakdown and crisis. Totally. And, 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 you know, um, from our medic, medical model, um, typically that's pathologized and we don't let it run right. its course. You know, this is really interesting. I'll reflect personally for just a sec on this. Um, what, I'm, what's, what it settled, and I never really had this, it sort of came up when I was doing these blog series with John, but I never put it in this context. Um, and that is in 1997, you know, I, I, I situated myself, sort of fell into justification systems theory. I didn't call it then exactly the time. It's like, okay, and I'm differentiating this person culture layer through justification off of the animal primate. And then I have my stoned experience in August of 1997 and the tree of knowledge pops out. Okay. Um, and that was fundamentally transformative. My life, I can definitely put that date on the calendar. You're like, mm, you know, <laughs> I change, you know, something, yeah. something blew out of me and, and I've never been the same since. Um, and I went and saw a therapist and it's eight months later and I was already 
Um, although I, you know, I'm fortunate in some ways, cause I, I think I had a transcendent experience that actually grabbed logos and I was, you know, not just spiritually aware, but really architecturally, logically aware also. So I could be grounded, I think in some ways in more than what would be maybe sort of a more pure vision, perspectival, uh, transcendent experience that many people would have. But then I went to a therapist and he had no, in retrospect, he just had no clue as to how to deal with me at all. Uh, there was no framing of, of what this was. Uh, the way he tried to empathize it was actually invalidating to me in a number mm -hmm. of different ways. I left fairly shortly after that. And, and I just saw, so I just found myself really interested in, in, and I never put it this way. Yes, I experienced a transpersonal growth moment. You know, I didn't even have a frame, even though I was a, a you know, a, a doctoral student in psychology and wouldn't mm -hmm. even have any frame of like, who would actually help me with this? And now, yeah. and this is the first time I'm really putting together, of course, I should have gone seeing a trans person, not that there necessarily would have been easy to look up in the directory. Um, but this is just in terms of like the relevance for this and the framing of this and the kinds of specialty kinds of problems that this affords a very clear view on that are essentially blind uh, in most of the other perspectives. And so just from a personal perspective, I can speak to that very clear, clearly based on my own history. Yeah, I really appreciate that. And, and there's a guy, David Lukoff, who really writes very eloquently about that. And part of it is because uh, he went through a similar kind of experience to that, mm -hmm. where he had, uh, you know, when he was younger, um, he went through a kind of manic episode where he, he got a whole flood of insights and uh, a whole new way of mm -hmm. seeing and talking about the world. And mm -hmm. people couldn't relate to the way he was talking about it. Um, he, he, he became, you know, now he would say kind of imbalanced towards a kind of over-enthusiastic evangelizing of his new insights. And he ran out. Really? That can happen? <laughs> right? You know, and anyone he, he approached about it pathologized him and said that, you know, they couldn't see anything positively transforming in that. And he recognized that there were some, you know, um, features of that, that clinically could be classified, uh, you know, in a way that, that could look like a pathology, but that overall on balance, it actually was a positively transforming thing for him. And that even though he sounded a little crazy in the beginning, it was all this flood of insight that was reorganizing him um, and, and, and allowed him to speak in kind of a mythical and metaphorical language that it was able to encapsulate his insights into clear pictures and that there was no container for this. And so that he's really been working since then to make carved space in psychology that we can see that there are these kinds of transformative um, experiences that reorganize the psyche and often show up in mythopoetic language um, and, and that kind of thing, uh, charged symbol systems, you know, that, that basically- Like gardens exactly, and trees, you know? Like, right. does it turn into gardens and trees, especially in the that, Western tradition? That lead tradition. to new forms of language, right? You know? <laughs> like you talk in a different way? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it happens. Exactly. Oh my, yeah, it's really interesting. Well, so, and ha so in terms of when you bring your students in, is this then- the epicenter of what it is that you're bringing to bear on them. I mean, and I'm just thinking about the weighting of this is super interesting. And at the same time, if I think about the majority of clients that like come in the door, um, the majority of clients come in the door, at least from my vantage point, or, you know, the neurotic, 
internal critic, judging self. Certainly we want to, I think the traditional field underemphasizes spirituality, um, this particular aspect of the human experience. Um, but in terms of, I'm also curious, clearly that's an area of, of sort of expertise and richness and development here. How does then the juxtaposed everyday concerns of, oh my gosh, I've got an internal critic and I yell at myself and I judge myself and I'm worried and I'm self-conscious and I wish I could get rid of this, you know, it, it, that uh, also, do you bring a transpersonal view uh, to that kind of set of concerns? Yes. Yeah. Uh, typically, we have used, and I, I have used, uh, variations on an object relational self-psychology model mm. um, mm -hmm. in order to talk about different levels of uh, functioning and adaptation and characteristic defenses, um, basic, mm. uh, you know, emotional landscapes okay. uh, and, and, and relationship types mm -hmm. that you can expect to be associated with different levels or layers of, of object relational development. Okay. And so, you know, in, in, in this program, we would look at, uh, you know, and we definitely emphasize uh, that the majority of the people that you deal with are going to be, you know, dealing with basically some, some maybe some, either some strongly pre-personal um, or, or layers of pre-personal wounding um, and fixation, um, borderline issues, narcissistic mm -hmm. issues, things like that, yep. or personal Oedipal, you know, neurotic okay. type mm -hmm. issues. Um, we're going to basically have a most people who walk in the door, um, if they come to us as a transpersonal or an integral therapist, it might be that they have some right. interest in spirituality, mm -hmm. but that's probably not going to be the main organizing okay. thing gotcha. for them. I gotcha. Um, mm -hmm. But so you need to be just so just so people are clear. So in the context of the psychoanalytic tradition, uh, I here I, I offer the following basic map. So you get Freud, then you get Jung, then you get the Neo-Freudians or like Adler and uh Quernhorni and uh Eric Erickson. Uh right. and, and then out of Freud, you're also getting sort of the a bridging or, or development of four major traditions. You get the classic drive with its focus on unconscious. You get an emergence of an ego psychology with people like uh, Anna Freud and Heinz Hartmann. You get an object relations out of, say, Melanie Klein uh, into Otto Kernberg. And then you get the emergence of self-psychology, most famously with Koha. Okay. Right. Uh, and so object relations and self-psychology are part of sort of a relational reconfiguration of classic psychoanalysis or a relational emphasis, some of which goes very deep in the object relational world, especially if you follow Melanie Klein, deep as in sort of like the layers of consciousness and the emergence of individuation pretty. And really with self-psychology, you kind of get a bridge, I would argue, between sort of a humanistic view of the self and a psychoanalytic view of the self. At least that's one way to read Kohut. So just to give folks a little bit of mapping where an object relationship, self-psychology. And then by the way, uh, Stall off would be then an intersubjective viewpoint on psychoanalysis in this kind of uh, landscape or map of these schools of thought. Exactly, that, that's right, and, and that's pretty much how we present it. We, uh, you know, we give them readings by Horney and, and and you know Adler and um, you know all of these people, but not only focusing on that. That's actually one kind of strand for looking at it. 
Mm-hmm. There's also an emphasis on the humanistic and the existential. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of discussion of Rogers and mm-hmm. of um, Bugenthal mm-hmm. and different, you know, all of their approaches. Um, and yeah, there's a couple of ways to, to maybe frame this. Uh, you know, uh, I would say just for most abstract uh, because for for looking at how this relates both to everyday psychological functioning and yep, potential yep. spiritual states okay. lovely uh-huh. um, would be to look at our layers of identification mm. and you know again this is not it's not super clinically useful but as a very very background kind of picture um, there, you mean like layers of human identity <laughs> yes <laughs> exactly Right. Sweet, man. Yeah. And now you're talking my language. <laughs> I just held up the iQuad coin, which I to- toured Bruce through. And he's a, uh, and so anyway, with its human identity function, couldn't help but make the reference. Uh, please proceed, Bruce. Yeah, no, <laughs> I love, it. love it. Yeah. Um, we can look at it as early infants. We're mostly immersed in the world of the body. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not clearly differentiating the body as an object. Right. And so we're subject to it mm-hmm. and, and whatever its states are basically is world for us, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Gradually through object relational dynamics. And, and, you know, you can look at it from a number of different lenses, sure. but um, we, we gradually differentiate a body ego. Um, mm-hmm. We're able to make it into object. We're able to actually increasingly use it um, intentionally make it subject to, to will and to purpose and intentionality, yep. um, control our bodily functions, you know, all of that. But then we tend to be immersed in our emotional self and um, our, our emotional self is merged with others. Um, there's not a clear differentiation of my needs, your needs, my wants, your wants. It's all a, a soup to us. Um, going through the, the reproachment and the terrible twos, that's the... The, the period in which we begin to notice an emotional disjunction between my states and the other states. Mm-hmm. And that creates, you know, all of the dynamics of the terrible twos of us, you know, approach and, and retreat dynamics mm-hmm. and, and all of those things. Um, but it's an important phase of, of differentiation where we begin to be able to make emotions into object. You know, right. first we're splitting, but it gradually, you know, if, if we're held in a space that can hold our splitting states, mm-hmm. then we're allowed to be able to eventually integrate them yep. um, and, and not identify in, in, in one or the other side. Um, failures in the, these in either of these stages from, you know, the at least some schools of thought can lead to certain propensities towards psychopathology, yep. uh, different mm-hmm. kinds of psychosis, different kinds of um, maybe autistic issues mm-hmm. but all there's it, it's not only developmental there's also mm-hmm. uh, right. uh, causes but also you know um different uh attentional styles different um defensive styles um you know different fixations that result in borderline or narcissistic or mm-hmm. other types of personality disorder they can all be associated with incomplete or or disrupted transitions at, at these phases of development right um, right but the, the, I, I don't know if i was hearing this but it felt almost like kind of a, a keegan model a little bit of subject object um movement do you use robert keegan's auto model much yes. in relationship to kind of fr- framing those developmental 
phases. Obviously, I'm hearing also maybe some Piaget. And of course, Wilbur himself is really a developmental theorist in a very deep and profound way. But I just seemed like there was a Keegan, uh, you know, emphasis perhaps for you in there. I don't know. Yes, there is a, in the subject object toggling, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah, right. And, you know, so often, you know, just as the general frame, we then, if we make that transition, um, you know, and, and, and we become at least at, uh, stable enough in our, our relationship to our own emotional states um, and able to make them into enough of an object that we, we achieve a level of development that is roughly what's expected by our society. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yep. But then, then we end up largely identified with our thinking selves. Right. Um, and we're not, and, you know, so then we're, we're identified with the mental self and we're not typically able to make a clear distinction between content and process and, and between what I think about myself and my own identity. Um, mm -hmm. it, those things are, are mixed up and not clearly differentiated. Nice. Um, cognitive behavioral approaches and other approaches will help you begin to identify, you know, different forms of irrational thinking and, and, mm -hmm. and, and you know, all of that. And then mindfulness um, practices can actually help you become even more fully aware of our propensity towards identification with thought as self yep. and basically disembed from that. Love um, so there's an idea that, you know, that's a kind of a transitional thing that we're working on. We're, we're typically, um, for the average adult, we need to typically do some excavation work to go back and deal with wounds at the pre-personal levels mm -hmm. and, the, and, the, and the personal levels, mm -hmm. um, make those things into object, deal with the, the different kinds of emotion, emotional wounds and fixations, but also do the work that um, increasingly we can become more mindful of our own thought patterns and basically adjust our thinking patterns to more adaptive ones. But beyond that, also be able to see our identification with thinking as basically a limited boat, a boat of, 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 of identification that's not necessary for our own actual identity and well-being. Um, and, and that spiritual disciplines can help with that um, reorientation. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. So this is why there's so much real convergence, now, you know, and in my own limitations is blind to this, but now as Utah comes online, it's a force me. So just, just to line it up. So, you know, the psyche is a body, you know, then it becomes an animal with feeling and then it becomes a mammal with a mind's eye. And then it's operating at a perceptual emotional level. And then it begins to extend that over time, creates relational dynamics, individuates, gets master, some mastery of symbolic and then into justification, emerges as an ego. That's your thinking stuff. And that's where you kind of expect, oh, ego primate or ego self, experiential self relation. But what we actually also then need to do is to continue to develop that metacognitive observer, you know, mm -hmm. that affords the capacity from a psychological mindfulness perspective, to be able to step outside and identify what's going on. And I would argue sort of afford sort of the logos narrator, make sense of self, make sense of ego, make sense of the personal world. And I would also then say what the meditative practice do is grab a hold of that witness awareness function 
mm-hmm. you know, and recognize that identification with that gives you a pre and trans justificatory egoic position and right. centering yourself in relationship to that affords you a detachment from the way the self ego persona gripping function of this is the way it's got to be. And Oh my God. And, you know, right. and it's like, Hey, you know, <laughs> the world is, <laughs> you know, and there's a way to sit in that and even back into Nirvana potentially uh, at a pre-trans meditative perspectival level. Uh, and that was blind to me for, in, from a regular mainstream empirical psychological view in the, in the West. There's nothing in relationship to that. But now, I mean, where I am, it's like, oh, that's as obvious, you know, as the nose on my face in relationship to the processes and structures of the psyche. So it's really fascinating. I'm just confessing my own limitation and then growth into this perspective, uh, say, over the last 10, 15 years. It's really fascinating to see it uh, from that perspective and then to feel so joined and so readily able to hear uh, what it is that you're laying out there. Wonderful. Yeah. And, and I, I, one reason, of course, that I've, I've wanted to talk to you about that is that as as I listen to you, of course, I feel a lot of resonance with what you're exploring and opening up, um, you know, and so I wanted to basically, you know, share with you and riff with you on, on, on these different perspectives as I've been approaching it, because I know I have a lot to learn from you, but I think you also would appreciate, you know, kind of the territory that, that in its own way, um, and, and I, I think it is still incomplete and developing, but has really pushed into territory that I think is useful and meaningful and, and that's going to be increasingly valuable to us going forward. Totally, totally. And I really think you have this whole trans Eastern, you know, into spiritual values-based perspective. And then you have this behavioral natural science view. And they, I mean, if we pay attention to the enlightenment gap, there's inside the West, we don't know how to put matter and mind together, science and subjectivity together and the social construction of knowledge. Now maybe we can. And now if you talk is like able to come around and get the third person, big picture, big history view with the tree of knowledge, okay. And then sees that it needs the placeholder for the iQuad coin. And then, then yeah. says, well, that placeholder, if we go to yogic sciences, meditative practices, Wilbur's fundamental insights and bridging, and then see the organism into animal, into mammal, into primate, into person, into transpersonal spiritual stack inside and out, now we're really, oh my God, you actually have a natural science perspective behaviorally from the outside in, and that can now align very clearly with a lot of the psychic, psyche perspectives that were subjectively, you know, enriched by the Eastern, which didn't shackle themselves to say, well, you, you got to be able to observe it from the outside <laughs> if you're going to make right. it a science. I mean, that's what, that's what modern empirical science did. Uh, and, but then that broke the connection between outside in, inside out. And I think we're about ready to put that connection right back together. Right. Yeah. And that's super exciting. Yeah. You know, so in, in, in kind of holding these things alongside each other, of course, you know, I've taught in, in multiple different programs. I, I should say, um, though, it, this is both a badge of honor and, you know, probably a, uh, a detriment as well. I'm probably the first person to graduate with an integral psychology degree. Huh. Um, you mean like the, in the country? At some in level? the country, in the world, oh, uh, probably. Really? In the, oh my God, that's fascinating. I, I, yeah, I, I, at this day and age, it's integral circles back and we're in a, you know, a, you know, post-metaphysical age and we're leading the integral stage. I think it's a hell of an honor, uh, Bruce. So let me say, at least for now, that's a, that's a hell of an honor and it's a brilliant thing. It's a beautiful thing. And I'm... I'm it's been so enriched by your story and your insights. So I certainly want to honor that. 
Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I say it's a detriment because obviously the, the field was just being born at the time. So right. I'm kind of one of the early <laughs> guinea pigs, you know. Right, yeah. right. well. And, but, you know, in the, in the, so I've taught, you know, in the transpersonal psychology program, I taught in an integral psychology program. And now I currently teach in a consciousness and transformative studies program. Mm. So in each one of those, this has been held differently in, right. in the transpersonal psychology program. The big focus is on counseling psychology and it's through taking you through the full scope of human development okay. and all the different kinds of treatment modalities mm -hmm. that are important for all of the levels of our functioning. Okay. Um, integral psychology focused um, on that, but less on the counseling side and more on the theoretical side. Mm. Uh, consciousness and transformative studies situates the psychological within a broader picture of philosophical and spiritual and ecological huh. concern. Great. Yeah. It's wonderful. So, it sounded interdisciplinary, but yeah. Mm -hmm. It is. So, you know, that's right. That's one of the things that's excited me about, you know, for instance, some of John's recent talks mm -hmm. uh, where he's been with, with Blundell and, and others uh, where, you know, we talk about, integral psychology um, and, and spiritual practice and, and philosophy and, and meta theory in relationship to things like big history um, and, 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 and ecological, psycho-ecological approaches and things like that. I um, think you and I have listened to both of those conversations or the series of conversations had lately and think, hmm, we got a lot of resonance there. We got, we're seeing the cosmos outside in and the psyche inside out and finding that resonance is really, a, and John's definitely hooking up with people that are, um, you know, mostly recently seeing the big history evolutionary view and that's li linking to his, you know, recursive relevance realization, which really does situate him in a phenomenological view. Um, although, of course, he's a scientist in that regard, but is that interrelation? Um, you know, we can go around the quadrants. It's like, hey, can we have like a prepositional relationship between the quadrants as we move around them? I don't know if we could only develop a grammatology in relationship with that. <laughs> Do you have anything to say about that, Bruce? <laughs> I'm working on it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and if you could connect with somebody who understands adjacency, then we'd be in really good shape. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so I was thinking, you know, I don't know what, what's most fruitful to talk about. I, I would say one thing, you know, like a basic framing of, you know, when I present integral psychology generally, I would say that there are a number of principles. Um, this is, you know, especially influenced. I mean, Mark Foreman is taking Aqua, but he, you know, um, formulated in a pretty nice way. Mm -hmm. But uh, basically an integral psychological approach uh, I want to say what that is, and then I want to maybe look at some transpersonal things that complement that or, or that, that fill in some other gaps. Okay. Mm -hmm. So transpersonal, I mean, uh, for an integral psychological approach, one, you recognize that it, it recognizes that there's at least four overarching ways to approach the life of your client. Okay. Um, so one is the, you know, the interior, the intersubjective, um, and the intentional. Mm -hmm. uh, basically the, the inside and the inside out kind of point yep. of view uh, where you want to look at what's going on in terms of their mind states and their um, self-development and things like that. Um, of course, then you want to look at the, uh, the behavioral and the biological mm -hmm. um, and, and, and look at what's going on in their lives in terms of their uh, habitual behaviors, their uh, some of their uh, 
things like diet, um, mm. you know, there's a whole whole range of things that you can look at in terms of their ad adaptiveness of their behaviors and, and their physical condition. Um, then there's the cultural and the familial um, mm -hmm. and all their different kinds of, of, of shared meaning spaces and, and right. the, you know, the interpersonal relations of the family dynamics. And then of course, there's the, you know, the social systems, uh, socioeconomic and systems approaches. And so, you know, the feminist and, and, and uh, different models there. So there's a, a whole range of psychological schools that tend to focus on one or the other. Integral recognizes all of them, of course, as legitimate uh, lenses that we can take on the, the client's life and that you can use it typically, you know, in, in integral psychotherapy, you're not putting the, the, the quadrants up front in your actual interactions with the mm -hmm. client. They, they may never be mentioned. Right. But in the background, you're thinking about, you know, what am I looking at? Yep. What, what, what domains are there to, to check into? And somebody's, you know, reporting um, sudden emergence of, of depressive patterns or something mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. If you don't have that kind of like broad overview background, you might just focus in on the emotional causes of that and the relationship causes of that. You might never ask about, you know, um, what's going on in, with the change in their diet or what's right. going on, you know, socioeconomically for them or, or you know, are they are they plugged into, um, you know, power relationships that are you know, all kinds of things that you can look at. So it's a kind of self-checking thing for the therapist as well to make sure that you are not missing important areas of, of the client's life. Um, so all of that. So then you would say um, you also recognize, an integral approach also recognizes that the level of self-development of the individual and of the therapist is going to influence the therapeutic encounter. Mm -hmm. And so you want to understand relatively how developed they are because the kind of interventions that you make, um, the kind of defenses that they're going to deploy, the kind of language that you can use, the kind of interpretations that you can make, all of those things are going to be influenced by their level of development. And your own ability to resonate with them is also going to be limited or empowered by your own degree of development. Love it. Sometimes we're, we have people walk into the office who are more advanced than us, right? Along certain lines, they may have sure. been, right? And so those things are important to consider, right? So then the integral approach also recognizes that there's not only self-system development, but there are all kinds of, of intelligences that we have um, that may be developed in different ways and they tend to be unevenly developed. Right. So it's a good idea to try to get a sense for the general territory of the individual. You know, they might be cognitively very developed, but emotionally or interpersonally or sexually underdeveloped. So you want to look at values lines, um, kinesthetic development, aesthetic development, all kinds of different capacities that they may have, because it'll give you a better sense of, of you know, what's going on for them. Again, where you can meet them sometimes, you know, if they're lagging in certain areas, but highly developed in others, often their, their problems are associated with the tension between those. Mm. And they may even be defensive about looking at those areas that are underdeveloped, right? Sure. So you can lead with their own strengths. You know, if you can tune into and identify where they're strongly developed, then you can usually use that as an avenue to loop back and help show them from the strengths of this position, 
why this is important, right? All right, nice, right? yes. Mm -hmm. So there's a need to, yeah, get a general sense of the, the lines of development that are in play. Right. Um, there's also recognition that different altered states can impact um, functioning mm -hmm. and to check in, you know, with if they have any experiences of not necessarily even things that are, are intentionally induced, but sometimes just happening for them. Okay. What kinds of, of, of state experiences are they happening? Are they having? Um, and can certain um, positive altered states be induced in therapy or in, in conjunction with therapy that can help with maybe loosening certain kinds of fixations or providing new insights, mm -hmm. things like mm -hmm. that. So mm -hmm. you know, in the West, we, I, I used to joke to the students that, you know, we, we normally train in the waking, the sleeping, and the drunk states. Um, that, those are the three that we practice. Um, but, but now the stoned is the fourth one that we're yeah. practicing. Yeah. Um, but I've lived in, in, in other countries, you know, where um, altered states are, they, they have a much richer palette of states right. that are available and that, that are regularly accessed even on a dime mm. that we have no way of, of, of dropping into except by chance or, you know, or, or by drugs or some other means, but right. there, there's, there are cultures that are well-practiced in entering into different states and those states do different things. You know, anyone who has had deep meditative experiences or psychedelic experiences mm -hmm. knows that it's not all pathological, that, right. that real genuine insights can happen, real openings around our own fixations can happen. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that working with states, it's not the only thing, it's not the most important thing always, but it's an important piece of it. Right. Right? Right. Talking about like gross and causal and subtle kinds of states. Do you use the, that kind of frame? We, we, we do use that language, but not only that. Um, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, flow states and, and um, right. uh, you know, different, different transpersonal theorists will use different kinds of labels for the different mm -hmm. kinds of states that are available. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, yeah, I'll come back to that part. Okay. Okay. Then the um, you know, the last is just that there are, are, are different styles of knowing. Um mm -hmm. that we have personality types. Um mm -hmm. we have, you know, of course the big five, which you've been talking about, and there are the mm -hmm. different defensive mm -hmm. strategies and, and 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 different ways of coping and adapting and interpreting that are associated with those, or you could use something like the Enneagram, mm -hmm. but they're also, you know, culture. Um, gender, um, all of those things influence our, our ways of knowing. Mm. And, you know, Beck was kind of big on that in terms of like learning the different codes. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he, he talked about, you know, how do you enter into a, a cognitive behavioral dialogue with somebody who uses the code of the South versus the code of the Northwest in terms right. of the values and the things that they appeal to mm -hmm. and what, they're, what, what, what kind of languages and what kind of interpretation that they're will most likely resonate with. Right. Um, so, yeah, basically that's the idea is that, you know, we can um, look at all of those things, uh, you know, for a, a fairly robust way of interacting with clients and, and showing up in the therapy room mm -hmm. um, and checking ourselves to mm -hmm. make sure that we aren't, um, you know, basically privileging 
certain perspective because of our own dispositions and missing important, um, right. you know, uh, pick pieces of the picture. Right, it's clear. So the, the integral, uh, you know, quadrant, lines, state, styles, stage kind of structure uh, really uh, obviously informs you. And I became uh, really impressed with that. My friend Andre Marquis, you know, as mm -hmm. a leader in kind of bridging integral thought to the world of psychotherapy and ways of integrating it and affording, bringing coherence, especially through the epistemological frames and then the lines uh, of, you know, along those lines. And then he did some research and recognized the importance of states and state fluctuation in psychotherapy and, and bringing that. So that's really shining through to me is that your framing uh, is this sort of comprehensive integral. Uh, it's really cool to hear the way you bring that to bear and then reference that against more traditional or, or different lines of transpersonal thought and then other kinds of you know, more traditional things like cognitive behavior therapy. That's a, um, that for me, at least, that brings a lot of resonance, a lot of comprehension, a lot of good checks, a lot of ways to be holistic and systematic uh, in, in the framing of the work that you do. Right, right. You know, and, and there, you know, a lot of integral is, is you know, as, like a meta frame, right? And so, you know, as a meta frame, it's not a theory itself, it's a meta theory, right? And so it's a means of integrating different theories, but there are certain insights that are growing out of the integral framing itself um, and some of its different emphases. Um, you know, for instance, the focus on perspectives. Mm. And, um, you know, Elliot Ingersoll is a, a therapist who's been working mm -hmm. with that. But uh, one of the things that he looks at is uh, how we can look at um, the, the perspective taking, perspective holding uh, to get a, a, a further insight into the psychodynamics of the client. Mm -hmm. um, and for instance, you know, how are they using first person, second person or third person languages? And mm. what, what are the, you know, um, the likely insights that you can get into the individual right. based on their, their, um, their perspectival um, style and the choice of language or the, or the things that they're able to look at or not look at. Mm. And, you know, I was able to, I had already kind of had that insight in, in dealing with my, um, my sister-in-law okay. who mm -hmm. lives with us. She came over from her country, Nepal, mm. um, to help us when our, my, my son was first born. Mm, okay. And uh, my, my wife had a little bit of a difficult birth. And so she came over mm -hmm. to be with us and kind of mm. help out. But while she was with us, her son was murdered by Maoist rebels. Um, wow. Yeah. And that really obviously devastated her. He was 17 years old and just uh. axed in the street by these Maoist rebels. And um, so it devastated her. And she ended up staying with us. Um, but she'd been through a number of tragedies already. And then that was a really big one. And she threw herself into work um, and, and, and worked, you know, 80 hours a week, typically. Mm. Um, and I didn't see her very much. But I remember one day, you know, she asked for a ride to work and I drove her and I was talking to her. And she almost stayed exclusively in third person language, talking about mm. her life and about reality. And... I could really feel how she was making a, a coherent third person picture to help her cope, but that that was keeping her very distant and insulated 
from yeah. actually second and mm-hmm. first person relating yep. to God, you know, her conception of God or to herself mm-hmm. and to the wounds that she had sustained, you know, gotcha. so, mm-hmm. you know, anyway, that that's a, a bit of an aside, but um, I think there's, you know, uh, th- there are more and less sophisticated ways to work with that, but Elliot Ingersoll is developing some, for instance. Cool. Yeah, that actually, so what I'm hearing at least is that the framing sort of of the human condition, uh, the way it affords a holistic meta perspective to organize others, the way you would then check yourself and begin to understand certain kinds of challenges really becomes pretty clear. Um, then that got me into sort of like, do you feel like in terms of the active intervention side, when you're thinking about, okay, what am I going to do to leverage myself towards change, uh, to address particular problems? Um, are you bringing an integral, transpersonal view to that? What kind of, um, is there an active part of you? Is it more, hey, I want to really build a rich conceptualization. And then that affords all sorts of different possible ways, not necessarily procedural sort of active interventions, but a lot of exploratory, a lot of guide. How do you, how do you think about sort of the active intervention side of counseling? Yeah, you know, um, typically um, the, the integral model um, and the transpersonal model both, because the transpersonal includes the pre-personal up to the transpersonal, Mm-hmm. And even with with Groff, something like the perinatal, mm-hmm. Um, mm. and you know, I know that that's a bit controversial, but there is growing evidence for it mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. in terms of the, the 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 fact that the infant is an experiencing being sure. um, mm-hmm. prior to birth, mm-hmm. and that um, the state of the womb, the chemical conditions of the womb, the state of the mother's um, emotional well being, or not. Um, all of those things already are laying a, a psychic imprint mm-hmm. on the child. Um, it's not like our memories and you know, or, or our, our 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 self formation suddenly turns on once we're in breathable oxygen. Sure, um, absolutely, mm-hmm. it, it's already happening, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's you know something that Groff emphasizes that Wilbur hasn't emphasized. Mm-hmm but that his holotropic therapy and other things tends to bring out, or the LSD therapy has tended to bring out, is recollections in people of mm. prenatal type experience mm-hmm. and the echoes that that has had mm. throughout life. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, looking at, at those things, um, basically trying to determine um, the, the self-system development where the, you know, are, are they still defensively operating more from a pre-personal position um, or a personal one? And is mm-hmm. it a relatively mm-hmm. neurotic, immature personal one, or is it more um, uh, mature uh, personal or egoic stage where they're then going to be probably uh, leaning more into uh, existential questions um, and, and, and taking stock of the whole mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. life? So yeah, basically looking at that and and the and then focusing on interventions based on uh, on on the that level of function, the level of adaptation, the types of of, of um, defenses that are deployed. Mm. Um, different interventions will be used. So you know we we definitely talk a lot about uh, the long haul mm. of work that's going to be required if you're if you're dealing with anybody who has pre egoic issues. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. Those are not going to be resolved easily, mm. um, you know, and, and so it's going to take, yeah, you know, different types of intervention, which is 
typically mirroring and and helping to build self-structure that's mm -hmm. you know kind of Kohut's kind of insight mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what kind of what kind of interventions will you do with the other first to mirror them in a way that they actually can possibly felt feel seen um in a way that they've never felt seen before mm -hmm. um and through that begin to uh both mirror and then deliberately fail to mirror in order to help them develop self-structure mm -hmm. right okay. so that's mm -hmm. if, if they're more at a personal level of development then you're going to be you know mm -hmm. helping them work with and manage anxiety and, and depression and, and different things like that there mm -hmm. may be some cognitive behavioral approaches that are, are merited depending on on the types of of thoughts okay. or uh, uh, conceptual mm -hmm. fixations that they have mm -hmm. um are they are they moving into um, again kind of the more existential, um, deep you know um, meaning of life kinds of mm. question, mm -hmm. um, and you know somebody like Bugenthal's inward searching, yep. um, you know something like that might be more useful mm. for the individual to help them really deeply. They have enough interior agency yep. that they don't need you as an intervener. They mm -hmm. need you as a space holder for right. them to do their own inquiry process. Lovely. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. So there's just, yep. yeah, looking at the whole scope of that where that, you know, somebody might need, you know, very, very active hand holding and, and behavioral management mm -hmm. all the way up to just space holding right. um, um, for them to do inward process and all of that in between. Um, nice. Yeah. When, when you, uh, again, I'll ask one question and then a follow-up, which may bridge us into another domain. When you use that sort of pre-personal, uh, does that align pretty close to what you, you know, personality disorders, uh, you know, does that, and then my then follow-up question is, where's the DSM for you in this world? And how do you, what's your take on that? How useful is that? How much are you informed by it? How much are you a critic of that? What's your relationship to sort of the emergence of the DSM approach to psychopathology? So first, how much does pre-personal align with your view of sort of personality disorders relative to not so much? And of course, this can be on a continuum, obviously, but I'm just, as I hear that, I wondered. And then as you uh, move from there, maybe you can offer some reflections on the DSM. Yeah, uh, that's typically how I've done it is, uh, you know, be, one, because in our program, we're, we're required to teach the DSM. Okay. Um, and even though um, the DSM-5 has made some maybe interesting innovations, there's also some things that it seems it's less clear and useful. Mm -hmm. um, so in my classes, I've used the DSM-4 framing more than five mm. in terms of understanding at least um, some of the general markers for personality disorders. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the you know, the pre-personal is not limited to, you know, certain set labeled uh, personality disorders, but uh, typically that's what I've, I've talked to my own students about identifying okay. mm -hmm. um, is, you know, do they clearly demonstrate, say, five or more <laughs> of these characteristics mm -hmm. in their style of relating with you? Right, right. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, if you're seeing those those basically you know um defenses and 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 adaptive styles and and their 
their their modes of relationship with you and communication. Mm-hmm. If if those things are are regularly checked off, um, you know, it's more likely that you're dealing with somebody with at least an emotional fixation mm-hmm. at a pre-personal level, okay. and that they're going to be benefited mostly by active mirroring work mm-hmm. more than um, you know more directive kind of right. uh, work that you could do with somebody who's better able to manage their own, um, their own emotions and their own, uh, their own identity. Gotcha. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, for me, the, the DSM is definitely a, a flawed thing. Um, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very cautious about the use of the DSM to label and fixate people. Mm. Right. Um, Put them in categories and be done with them. (laughs) Exactly. To pathologize them. Um, The way I've taught it is to use it as another useful lens for checking in while trusting your own instinct and everything else. Um, Because there's usually identified certain clusters of behaviors and patterns that that it it can be useful for identifying. Um, But it's just like the developmental stages in integral theory. Don't don't make people into those things. Don't make right. people into these categories. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they can be uh, useful lenses for possibly crafting your language and communication styles mm-hmm. and, and things that you want to look for um, and, 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 and modes or methods that you want to try out and see how they stick. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's, I, I, I encourage a provisional holding okay. of that. Um, I've already mentioned that it's not very adequate for dealing with the transpersonal. Um, it is woefully yeah. inadequate. I think would probably be the best <laughs> only way exactly. to characterize it. Just absent. I mean, it's completely like, huh? <laughs> right. E- exactly. Yeah. You know, and so that, I mean, that, that might be one, I know we're, we're close to our time here for the hour and a half, but if it's useful to talk a little bit about the spiritual emergency part. That's and- actually, that's exactly what I was hoping for. Uh, so we're totally on, if we can, uh, yeah, give, let's, let's go into this domain and then we'll find a way to summarize. It's been uh, a really rich tour, but I definitely wanted to get there. Cool. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that transpersonal and integral psychology both are looking at is, you know, while they're not that common, and it's, you know, again, as a practicing psychotherapist, it's definitely not the, the big focus, but it's important to have that knowledge from mm-hmm. an integral or a transpersonal totally. point of view. Um, there are spiritual emergencies, you know, which the, the Stan and Christina Groff have done the most work in articulating. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are also, from the contemplative traditions themselves, all kinds of, of things, and, and actually Jungian and other tradition, all kinds of things that can go wrong um, for the individual as they explore altered states and, mm-hmm. and, and go through contemplative training. Okay. And there are different kinds of things to look for um, as, as pathologies, um, you know, that, that, and fixations and different kinds of things that can happen mm-hmm. at those levels of, ex, of, of development and, and self-experience. Okay. Mm-hmm. So as I mentioned before, you know, spiritual emergence is what you typically look for if you're going through any kind of deep inquiry practice or contemplative training. You're looking for increased insight into self and world and and maybe some expansion of perspective. And and that's spiritual emergence. Sure. But sometimes 
either through practice and sometimes spontaneously, spiritual type experiences can emerge in a way that proves to be destabilizing for the individual. Mm. And it can be destabilizing for a couple of reasons. One is that they just don't have a framework for it. Mm-hmm. And so they're afraid of what might be happening because there's no language and, and frame that holds those things. And when they speak about it to others, others tend to either say, huh, or to pathologize it. Gotcha. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's relatively easy to work with. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you can help if you're if you're versed in it, you can help. You, give right. It, right. Give a framework that 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 normalizes what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and that 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 additional cognitive space, um, you know, is, is often enough for the person to then be able to, to, to not let those experiences overwhelm them. Mm-hmm. And, and integrate and move on, right? Right, um, right. Sometimes the individual lacks the emotional or physical or other kinds of resources to deal with the emerging unexpected types of experiences. Hmm. And then they can destabilize and the self can start to fragment. Okay. Um, and so in those cases, you need more active therapeutic intervention, not hmm. just giving a cognitive framework, mm-hmm. but you might need to you know, do emotional work with them, um, do some, you know, uh, cognitive behavioral therapies with them. You might have to make interventions that are designed at grounding them um, mm. or telling them to back off of certain spiritual practices okay. um, mm-hmm. until they can stabilize. Mm. Um, so mm. there are a bunch of different things that you can do depending on what's happening for the individual. Okay. Right. Mm. Um, so if you want to see if like spiritual, if it is a spiritual emergency and you're not dealing with something else, then you want to kind of do a differential, differential diagnosis. Mm. Um, one of the things that transpersonal therapists and integral therapists will do is if somebody's presenting with some unusual altered state experience, for instance, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, is actually ask for a medical checkup or some blood work to be done mm-hmm. to make sure that there's not like a you know, brain tumor or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You want to make sure that physically they're healthy, right? Um, so sometimes that might be a excess of caution, but mm-hmm. depending on how litigious the state you live in is, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes right. requires an excess yeah. of caution. Yeah. Right, right. So, mm-hmm. you know, that, that kind of thing, you want to encourage that. But then looking for, um, is it a case of, uh, you know, spiritual emergency? Is it a case of a psychotic break or is it a case of, of, you know, maybe mystical or spiritual experience with psychotic, some psychotic feature, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. So typically for spiritual emergency, um, it tends to be uh, accompanied by alterations in in perceptions Mm -hmm. and experiences that, that may have a mythopoetic or a transpersonal flavor to them. Okay. Um, where they're, they're, you know, um, you know, yeah, we didn't really go over that, but there are different kinds of, you know, altered state and spiritual experiences that people can have on right. a mystical level of, of subtle tape state experiences of, of visionary or light forms or experiences of opening into emptiness or, you know, or experiences of oneness, mm. uh, different kinds of things that can be happening for people where they feel deeply identified with other pe- 
people or, or, or beings mm -hmm. um, in a way that it feels like a kind of communion happening. Yep. But yep. there could be an entangling of you're not sure if this is my feeling or their feeling. And, mm. you know, um, so those kinds of things can happen. And um, if the person is basically able to see this as an internal process mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. able to form a therapeutic relationship with you without paranoia and without like undue defensiveness mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't look like anything going on um, uh, you know physically with them right. then right. probably safe to treat it as spiritual emergency mm -hmm. and, and to work with them in, in that regard mm. um, if it's psychosis of course you you want to look for the normal markers are there uh, hallucinations um, is there conceptual disorganization or mm -hmm. thought blocking? Are there mm -hmm. any kinds of delusions? Um, is there disorganized behavior or catatonia? So you're looking for all those things, right? Sure. Mm -hmm. um, for mystical experiences with uh, psychotic features, typically you would be looking at something like, um, well, if the person shows up with, with maybe um, some kind of reported exalted kind of affective ex experiences, okay. Um, mm -hmm a sense of newfound knowledge, mm. um, a sense of like having a download of, right. of, of sudden kinds of, of profound insights. Um, they may have delusional sounding language, mm. um, but it tends to be more metaphorical and that if you tune into it, it actually is still meaningful. Right. right? Um, whereas in, in a you know, psychotic break, it's actually disjointed and, and it doesn't really hang together. Right. There, there could be all kinds of leaps and, 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 you know, things that it doesn't, you know, it's not coherent. Gotcha. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But and there tends not to be paranoia um, with the mystical experience with psychotic mm -hmm. features. Um, there, there tends not to be any conceptual disorganization. Um, and so then, you know, so typically it's the exalted states the the sense of newfound knowledge there's alterations in in perception they mm. might be having um they, they might be seeing lights or they might right. be seeing things in a certain visionary form mm -hmm. um they might be feeling bliss running up and down the mm. body you know different kinds of altered experiences of, of their own reality yep. um and again you know if, if there is delusional sounding speech it's often highly mythopoetic dealing with themes of like light and darkness of world transformation of new orders of, of, of reality or rewriting history or, right. you know, those kinds of things. Those, you know, they might go to the extreme where actually the person almost feels like stuck for a while in a kind of dreamlike experience where they're mm -hmm. really living this alternate mm -hmm. reality and speaking mm -hmm. in terms of it. Um, but it can be dealt with in a way that, that doesn't, shut them down and doesn't turn off the experience right especially if you have certain kinds of indicators for instance are they um did this is it a fairly uh, acute precipitation of these events is it within the last three months right okay mm -hmm. prior to that have they been able to have stable relationships and hold down a job and actually develop mm. themselves okay. right yeah. mm -hmm. are they able to see this as an object are they able to actually mm. have um you know uh, some observing ego um, where they can see this as a process that's going on and be positively disposed towards working with it. Okay. Um, uh, if it's been going on for longer than six months, uh, typically that's an indicator that it's not going to be positively transforming. 
it, mm. they, they've actually gotten lost somewhere. Okay. Um, and you're going to need to do more serious and probably, you know, maybe even pharmacological interventions and things mm. like that. But three months or sooner, um, transpersonal therapist or integral therapist would say, maybe hold off on, on okay. you know. That's a good time frame suggestion. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's the kind of the basic idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's like uh, also like regression in the service of transcendence versus, uh, you know, something like schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, both, uh, you know, di- often um, schizophrenia can have a kind of a bleak affect state mm-hmm. or a flat mm-hmm. affect state. Flat, yep. Blunted. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or a, a disjunction between how they're showing up in terms of the feeling state and what they're talking about. There's, totally. there's no integration in that. Whereas regression of the surface of transcendence, they can also have a, 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 a bleak um, type of experience, but at the same time, it's often punctuated by exalted types of experience. Right. right. Um, you can fluctuate between, between bliss and dismay. Mm. Um, <laughs> and uh, there, there's not typically, again, that the kind of um, incongruence or disorganization um, that you can see with, with schizophrenia. Um, Right. And, yeah. So again, there's a whole number of things that you can look yeah. at for that. But, yeah. But no, that really, um, I mean, that really helps, you know, frame. Uh, and is it, I'm, I'm kind of curious as, a, as you, um, when you're in a community of transpersonal integral uh, psychologists and, and counselors and whatnot, um, is it this felt sense that these kind of concerns of spiritual emergencies when, when people are looking for counselors of that regard, present themselves fairly regularly. I mean, if you're, if you're a transpersonal psychologist, is it your sense that, yeah, one out of every three clients, or there's a, there's a real regular um, connection between the work that we do. People can be seen and find us. There's enough of this that's out there that, you know, people like me that have their thing that would, in California and the old, you know, in the very series, they go and this becomes definitely um, a, a, clear subset of the work of the therapy that's fairly prominent or irregular. And is that, I guess that's just my question to you, is that um, show up quite a bit because it certainly shows up in our work, um, definitely, but because of our attention and they don't bring it in, it's not super salient in terms of it pops up periodically, but not with a high degree of regularity. So our spiritual emergencies, would you say, or your, your sense that they're presenting themselves to people identify as interpersonal, I mean, transpersonal, uh, psychotherapist pretty regularly because of that connection. I would say possibly um, transpersonal therapists see it more often, be, mainly because there's an invitation to even bring it up. Right, that's true. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a, I think, a fear in other contexts. A lot of, you know, both. Well, the whole spiritual, you know, trans dimension is really missed in a lot of places. So the absence of looking and asking is going to prevent one from seeing a lot of our program is actually attracting students who themselves went through something mm, that's interesting yeah mm-hmm. and were shut down um, okay. or shamed or or not yeah right not um, seen at all mm-hmm. not seen at all and so i don't think again it, it's not super prevalent the, the mm-hmm. you know transpersonal therapist mostly you're not going to be dealing in your office with transpersonal issues mm-hmm. um even people who are deeply spiritually oriented, they often still will come in and talk about 
man, I really hate my job or mm-hmm. she, she, she really effed me over, you know, yep, yep, yep. that, that's still a lot of what, what shows up. So it's well, not, that's, that's yeah. the business of being a verbal Bruce. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. But no. Okay. Yeah. But still to have a frame for it, to be clear about it, to have organized, to ask about it, to see it, it's clearly a crucial part of the human experience. And it's an underdeveloped part of our Western modern experience. And so uh, that's another key element of that in terms of certainly, hopefully, if we come through the meaning crisis, okay, a crucial part will be to cultivate this aspect of our being in the world, being in relationship to each other, being in relationship to oneness, et cetera. Right, right. You know, and I think as more and more people, and especially if like we're building something like a religion that's not a religion that is encouraging wider use of different psychotechnologies, we have to be prepared for what can go wrong in those things. Yes, totally. And, you know, the traditions are, you know, not, not perfect, but they definitely are aware of those things. You know, for instance, there can be manic type or um, episodes or certain kind of psychotic breaks that can happen as the result of intensive meditation. Mm. Um, there can be psychic inflation where the, there's a certain kind of, uh, influx of spiritual insight and then the ego identifies with that rather than being able mm. to like critically mm. distance itself from that and and and, and there's a, a huge narcissistic inflation around that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there are different kinds of fixation that can happen in terms of um, you know certain practices train you to see reality as disgusting in order <laughs> to break in order to break your attachment to it but you can actually get stuck there wow. um too intensive focus on mindfulness again and again in the moment can lead to something that the Tibetans call soklong. And mm. it leads to a feeling of agitation, um, of, 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 of agitated energy running through the body and kind of uncontrollable fast thoughts. Mm. Uh, that happened to me when I was in Indonesia and deeply, I didn't know about soklung at that time, but that's exactly the state I ended up in when I was really, really intensively trying to hold awareness to every single moment. Hmm. And I ended up with like an overwhelming kind of like a flood of, of uh, energy and anxiety through the body. Hmm. Um, And, you know, so now I recognize later that that's what the Tibetans call soklung. And it's basically an imbalance and an implied, you know, in the application of a certain technique. Interesting. Um, so there's a whole range of, 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 of different things that can happen in terms of um, some of them are, you know, pathologies or some of them are just, you know, uh, incomplete carrying forward of a process, um, you know, that, that I think, it, you know, it's worth knowing about. Again, it's not going to show up every day, um, but the more that we are training people to actually develop these other aspects of themselves, mm-hmm. um, the more that we need to, to know about what can go wrong in those areas. Lovely, lovely. Well, I'm really glad we did uh, enter into at least a framing of the spiritual emergencies uh, as you see them in various flavors and the ways in which we can attend to them. And I absolutely agree. Um, So that's wonderful. I really appreciate, you know, we've definitely covered, I have a much better sense, uh, although I have followed you now for a while and talked to you quite a bit. I do have a, but you know, uh, the way in which you're employing transpersonal integral, uh, connecting it to the, you know, the other traditional systems, recognizing its benefit, and now bridging around the UTOC structure. It's a really, really fascinating uh, and rich perspective, and I deeply appreciate you bringing it and sharing it with us today. Well, uh, yeah, I'm happy for the opportunity, and, you know, I, I hope, yeah, if it, you know, um, 
that, that I think you're familiar with some of it, pretty well familiar with with some of it from from discussions with Marquis and and, and other people. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if if there's maybe you know privately or whatever, I'd be happy to talk to you about it. if there's things that you put want to well, push back on. Well, or, in, or yes, well, in two yeah. weeks we'll uh, we'll be able to have some hangout time together. So uh, this will be a good thing for us to pick up, right? We'll be at the Meta Modern Spirituality Conference. Uh, and we'll, and I definitely look uh, forward to, you know, I think there's an enormous amount of synergy. Um, yeah, certainly we can dialogue about where, where some of maybe my historical skepticism comes in and what's lingering from some aspects of that. Uh, but really for me, I, I feel like I was underdeveloped in this area. And so I'm learning and soaking in and enjoying and, and finding a lot of the pieces just, you know, falling right into place. So it, it's more of a curious and growth experience. So. Wonderful. Yeah, I love talking to you as always. So yeah, thanks so much for the time. All right, friend. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Look forward to sharing this with others. All right. Take care. All right.